Well, hello, church. It's so good to see you, kind of, this morning, live from the, our mission location to the south, and we're so happy that you have joined us. And uh, it's really nice just knowing that there are other people on the other end of that lens uh, listening and uh, joining with us this morning. It's great to be preaching the Word of God with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to, in just a minute, getting back into Matthew chapter 5. Before I do that, though, I do have in front of me some of the people who are with us right now, so I'm just looking. Thomas family, you know, we can't have church without the Thomas family being here, so we're really glad that you're here. We now can continue, and you were first on my list, so congratulations for that. By the way, in the room right now, we have Drew, as always, on text, so please give Drew a big round of applause, especially the Parsons watch party. And then we got Sam Carlson and Nicole and Luke and Sarah. They're my congregation this morning, believing that they're all going to become Christians by the end of this. And uh, it's going to be a good thing. So who else we got? We got the Bates family. Oh, that's so cool. We've got Nicole, who's really busy. Ashley Robinson, the Campbell family. Hi, Sterling and Abby. It's great to see you, kind of. Leeshan, and I'm assuming family, unless they're all doing something else. Um, Patty, so lovely to see you. Allison and Zolt. Hello, Darlene. Just going through the Courtney's from Vancouver. Janet, Janet, we're so happy that you are feeling better and getting stronger. We continue to pray for Janet and Terry, and uh, she's just uh, in the middle of treatment there. And uh, a lot more Nicole, Anna Celia, and John. If I'm missing you, then please forgive me. I'm just kind of scrolling through names. The Parsons uh, watch party. Welcome. Um, it's, so, it's so great, these watch parties. I do want to say, first of all, as long as you are following protocol and all the different rules and the regulations and doubling your bubble and, and all that kind of stuff, it would be so great if, uh, if you, you could get kind of other people around to your house and do church together. I'm going to be giving you some questions as we go through that you can talk about at the end and maybe have lunch together and stay all afternoon, have a nap, do what you would normally do on a Sunday. Just invite yourself around to somebody's house. That'd be great. If you don't know uh, who to go to and you do want to be on a Sunday morning watch party, then if you press connect, which I think is up there somewhere, and, uh, and just write to us. We'll make sure Nicole will help you get into a group and you can do church together. So that'd be really, really good. Next week, we're going to be continuing our series as well. So please invite people around to listen to this. You'll find that this has got a lot to do with uh, whoever's listening, whether they're been a Christian for years or they're brand new to the faith or they're just thinking about Christianity. These messages are really, really relevant. Okay, let's grab our Bibles and... Um, or your apps, get to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to continue our series in, uh, in the Sermon of the Mount, and we're going to get to our key verse, which is verse 13, in just a minute. Before we get there, though, I don't know about you, but it's been a, it's, it's, this is our 16th week of not having church. It is odd. I wish you could see what I'm looking at here. There's a few chairs scattered around, and uh, there's a couple of cameras and, and whatnot, but it, this just doesn't feel like normal church. It's, it's really odd. And with everything that's going on in the world, whether it be COVID or protests, the, the different issues that we're facing in society, you know, it, it would just be kind of nice just to withdraw for a bit. Um, we've been watching, or I should say we, we kind of blitz watched it, Sarah and I and the family, uh, this show on Netflix called The Alaskan Wilderness Adventure. And it's based on uh, it's, a, it's kind of a fly-on-the-wall 
type series, this beautiful older couple who in the 80s built themselves a lovely cabin on the side of what's now called O.C. Mountain. And uh, you, can, you can only fly in. You can't, you can't drive in. It's miles from everywhere. But they're at a stage of life where they, they're not able to uh, look after this place anymore. And so they are giving it as part of a, a game show, I guess, to a couple who they do different tests and different things and they kind of get judged. And then the final couple actually gets given this incredible house on the side of a mountain. I've been watching this going, oh man, I'd love to be there right now. I'd just love to just be able to, to withdraw and just be able to uh, enjoy myself and, and not have to think about everything that's going on. Sarah, on the other hand, isn't into the idea of, uh, of no electricity and no water and all the other things. But do you not feel that? that you could just kind of, if you could just check out for a bit and just withdraw, that's what our culture is kind of telling us right now. It's, it's tough out there. And yet when I read the Bible, I see the absolute opposite. That actually Jesus' teaching is not about withdrawing. Jesus' teaching is about stepping in. About actually in, in times of struggle and tension and difficulty in our world, that is the moment that a Christian steps up. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is, is how do we do that? Why do we do that? What does Jesus say about that? And, and how does it connect with us in our culture now? I want to jump to the end of my sermon and tell you this. There is never, ever, in my, in, certainly in my lifetime, a time where it feels like our culture needs Jesus more than right now. There is a desperate need for the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's our time. Just like when Jesus said, just in like in the days of Noah, these are our days. These are the days that God has called us to. And so uh, that's, that's where we're, we're going to get to. I'm going to give you a couple of questions to discuss uh, at the end. Uh, so if you're in groups, then you can talk through a couple of questions, and I'll give you a heads up when we get to those questions. So this strange time that we're in is not unusual. If you look at history, you'll see that history ebbs and flows. There are times of great prosperity. There's times where everything seems to be going great. And then there's times where it feels like the world is coming apart. That's been the case. It's certainly the case in Jesus' time. Look at this scripture from Matthew chapter 5. This is the beginning of the passage that we'll be studying. This is Jesus. It says, seeing the crowds. Notice it says crowds with an S, not crowd. What this is saying to us is, is actually this crowd is an eclectic group. Could be 10, 12,000 people, scholars tell us. And they are, a, uh, they are a diverse group of people. On one hand, you've got the, the hardline religious right uh, who were very pious. They wanted to distance themselves from anything that wasn't a part of their religion. They would look down their nose at anybody uh, because they were so fundamental in their beliefs. And then on the other side, you've got the Greeks and the Romans. You've got progressives, the liberals, if you like, the polarized group of people. Uh, And then you've got the blue-collar workers. You've got this range of people, this crowds, very diverse, very similar to the world that we're living in right now. This polarized political atmosphere that we're in, the the hard right, the hard left, and and everything in between at each other, there's anxiety, there's confusion, and that's exactly what we are kind of leaning into and listening into when Jesus is talking on the Sermon on the Mount. These crowds of people, you've got the sick, you've got the, the healthy, you've got the successful, you've got the people who are rich, you've got the very, very poor, all of these people in the crowds, and Jesus walks into the midst, sits on a mountain and starts to teach and they all lean 
in. That's what's amazing about Jesus to me, is that he, tr- he seems to transcend everything that we see in society as separating us. It's like Jesus walks into that gap. That somehow he can be shoulder to shoulder in the middle of all this confusion where literally people are going, I'm not going to have anything to do with you because you don't believe what I believe. That's what they would have been thinking. Does that sound familiar? That's our world today. If you don't believe what I believe, I'm going to have nothing to do with you. And, and that just, it's, it's very, very polarizing. It's very troubling. But Jesus, that God shows up, calls himself Jesus, breaks all the rules, doesn't withdraw, but presses in. He walks into the middle of it. He walks into the middle of this racism, this sexism, the, the progressives, the conservatives. They've even got their own COVID. They've got leprosy and different sicknesses. He walks through the middle. He brings holiness. He brings healing. He brings mercy and joy and kindness. And he's shoulder to shoulder with people, challenging them and yet relating with them. He doesn't withdraw in the middle of chaos. He presses in. And that for me over the last few months has been such a challenge to me personally. How do I press in in the middle of a time when all I want to do is withdraw? How do I press in? How do I get shoulder to shoulder with people? How do I be Jesus? You see, Jesus came with a significantly different message. And we've been studying it in the last few weeks where we look at the Beatitudes. You're seeing and hearing what life as a Jesus follower is like. Jesus comes with a very different message, very controversial message, and yet it's coming with a message that is accepted and listened to and people leaning in to listen. It's fascinating. What is this message that Jesus is saying? Well, the first part that Jesus is really talking about in the Beatitudes can be summed up by what Paul says in, in the rest of the New Testament when he talks about fruit, that Jesus comes with the fruit of the Spirit on display. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I mean, just stop there. Let me say that again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. If the list stopped there, has there ever been a time when our world needs more than that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is what we need. This is what we need in our world. This is the message that Jesus comes with. This enables him to go shoulder to shoulder with people who are so diverse. He doesn't come pointing and yelling and and, and only pointing out wrongs. Does he show and point out sin? Absolutely. But he's able to do it while still being a friend to sinners. It's fascinating. And so Jesus steps in. And look at who he's talking to. So we've got the crowds. He went up on the mountain. It's very significant because it mirrors Moses coming with the law. He's on the side of the mountain now teaching. And when he sat down, his disciples. This word disciples. When you read disciples, if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll immediately think, as many people will, you maybe think of the 12 because the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, the 12 tribes, you know, 12 is a significant number. But actually this word here is referring to a larger group of people. This would have been the crowd of a hundred or so or more uh, of people, men and women, uh, young adults, maybe even some younger children, like 14, 15-year-olds, who were following Jesus, wanting to be like him. And, and that's what this word 
disciple means. It means apprentice, follower, student. It's literally saying, I want to become like you, Jesus. I want the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, all these attributes that make Jesus King Jesus, I want that in my life. I want to talk like you. I want to act like you. I want to react like you. I want to think like you. I want to be you, Jesus. That's what those disciples are doing. That's what you and I as Christians are called to. To be like Jesus. To become like Jesus. To show a hurting, anxious-filled, confusing world truth through the lens of love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, and the list goes on. I want to suggest this to you, that actually to be like Jesus is, is to be human. We were created and wired to want and chase after the things that Jesus promises comes to those who believe in him. The very things that we want to see in our lives, in our society, we are wired towards. We're designed that way. We want love. We want peace. We want patience and kindness and acceptance. Why do we want those things? Because we've been designed to want those things. The failing is, is when we're trying to get those things with our own self-will and our own means and our own thoughts and our own truth and our own beliefs instead of an absolute truth and an absolute belief. You see, Jesus comes and empowers his people to be truly human. To be like Jesus is to be human. We were designed to be that way. We were designed to bring the hope that Jesus brought into this crowd, into the world that we're in right now. We were designed to do that. And here's the beautiful thing. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know where you are spiritually. You might be listening to this really anxious, really confused, really lost, just not sure what life is going to give to you and not sure what's around the next corner. You might be thinking, well, I used to believe this stuff. I don't anymore. Maybe you've never believed and you're just exploring it. You know, I don't don't know where where you're at, but I, I do know this, that Jesus gives a standing invite to all. This is not just for the, you know, pull your pants up really high, super conservative Christian good folk. That, that's not what Jesus came for. Jesus came for everyone. And Jesus comes with a standing invite that you too can be truly life and life more abundantly human in Christ Jesus. That if you gave your life to him, you ask him to come into your life and change it forever, that you humble yourself before him and you you confess that he is Lord, then the promise is that you become part of the kingdom, this kingdom of love and joy and peace and all the promises is yours as well. You see, we, that isn't given to us though for it to terminate on just me and mine. It's not just, you know, so that I can be a good Christian for my kids, although that's important. Or just a good Christian for the people that are very, very close to me. That gift, that fruit is given to me for a specific purpose. Yes, it's to impact those people around me, but it's actually to go into the world. Not to yell about it. Yelling often doesn't get you anywhere. But to take the love of Christ as a follower of Jesus into the circles that he has called you to, that's powerful. And and that leads us straight into the, the verse that is our key verse for this morning. 
you, in the light of the Beatitudes, in the light of the fruit of the Spirit, in the light of everything that's been given to you as a Christian, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You are the salt of the earth. It's a strange thing to say. doesn't sound particularly complimentary. Next week, we're going to look at you are the light of the world. And it's like, wow, that, that's far more exciting to me. But salt... Salt is really important. It brings flavor. It, brings, it was used to keep meat um, for a long time. They would rub salt in it. It preserves. Salt does a lot of good things. When I think about salt, I immediately think of one of God's greatest gifts to us all. It's what puts the great in Great Britain um, is fish and chips. And I know right now that some of you are immediately going, oh, yes. That is wonderful. Now you're really listening. Look at that. I just need to point out a couple of things. First of all, it's enormous. I don't know if, Drew, you can uh, do a bit of a close-up there because I'm imagining the viewership will drop because people are now running to get some food. But notice the newspaper soaked with the grease of goodness. Look at that. It's like I can almost feel my arteries harden just looking at that thing. It's, it's, It's wonderful. It's a thing of beauty. But it needs salt and vinegar, malt vinegar. Ketchup, ketchup the size of your fist on the side of fish and chips. That's wonderful. I can see even the people in the room are just getting excited about the thought of this. This is a terrible and wonderful thing combined. But it needs salt. I, I mean, if I had those chips, the first thing I'd think, oh, I need, need salt. I need salt to bring out the flavor. It'd be wonderful. And just as an aside, got a little bit of a bone to pick with Canadians. And I am Canadian now. I'm a dual citizen. But I don't understand when you're in a restaurant. And you get fish and chips that when I ask always, can I have salt and vinegar? Salt's always there. Vinegar you need to ask for. Uh, malt vinegar, none of this white nonsense. Um, the malt vinegar comes, or the, sometimes the white stuff, in a pot like a silver bowl. What am I meant to do with that? Like you try and sprinkle it and it goes all over it and ruins it. You try and get your fork in there and sprinkle and you just look like an idiot. You're meant to dip it. Uh, can we just stop that? I feel like... I feel Like we should start a movement or a a changes type thing online or something. Anyway, fish and chips. Salt is important. Jesus used the word salt very specifically because it does do a number of different things. But the main thing that I want us to focus on this morning is that we need salt on food. There's times when you just go, we need this. Whether it's to preserve, bring out flavor, it's needed. You... Christian friend, are needed in this world in the same way that good food needs salt. It makes it a better place. It makes it a place that we enjoy living in. That you, as a Christian, filled with Jesus, going into the world with all the fruit of the Spirit in you, is needed. That we are not meant to live life withdrawn, keeping these things just to me, myself, and mine. But we're actually meant to go, even in the middle of COVID, with this dedicated mindset that I am taking Jesus into a hurting world that desperately needs the truth. We need to be obviously different. Salt is obviously different. Have you ever tried, you ever accidentally put salt on something instead of sugar? It's foul. You're like, you just immediately recoil. You put sugar on chips. It's not so bad. I've not tried it. I'm sure the Scottish have, but I, I, I've, I've never tried it. I'm, sure it. I'm sure it's all right. But you put salt on some cereal, that's foul. It's obviously different. 
It's obviously different. We're meant to go into the world with the Beatitudes, the fruit of the Spirit, as followers of Jesus, desiring to become more like him. Because as we do that, you will be obviously different. You will be obviously different and you will improve society. As Christians, we have this opportunity to see our city prosper and thrive in all the important ways because we go into the world and become like Jesus. You see, we're called to be in the center. We're called to be around in our circles, in the different things that we've been called to, that God has determined for you to be part of the places that you go to every day. That God has planned the person that you are sitting next to at work. That God has planned the family that you are in. God has planned what street you are going to live on. God has planned what person you're going to regularly come in contact with at the coffee shop. Or the person that you walk past every morning as you take your dog. All these people put into your world the circles that God has given you so that you can be Jesus to them. That you can show them the love of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit to them. That's why you were put on this earth. And it will change cities. I've said this a number of times, it's not my quote, and uh, and please feel free to tell me where it comes from, but, but think about this, that you and I are the closest that some people will ever come to reading the Bible, that you and I are the closest that some people will ever get to when it comes to church, that their experience with you is how they will see God and Jesus. And if we take that thought to heart, then surely it will cause us to dedicate ourselves into becoming more like Jesus so that we can show people his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, and give those things to a city, to a world that desperately, desperately needs it. People are thirsty for what we have, at least what we should have. Because it might be that you've lost some of that saltiness. But people are desperate for it. They're thirsty for it. But here's the danger. So on one hand, Jesus is speaking to this diverse crowd. That he transcends all different aspects of polarized uh, world at his time. He says, come follow me, become like me, that we go into the world and we show people the love and the grace of Jesus wherever it is that we go. But the danger is, is that we go into the world and become like them. That we're not actually obviously different. That we're not actually fulfilling the call that Christ has given to us. That the very thing that our world needs, it's not getting because we're not obviously different. See, being an apprentice of Jesus means becoming like him. Becoming like him and then taking that into the world. So, let me, let me just tell you, this is just basic psychology. You see... Jesus calls us to become like him. That's what being a disciple means. That's what our calling is. That's what, as a Christian, you are still awake for. That, that's why you're here. But if you're not becoming like Jesus, you are becoming like something else or someone else. You are becoming something. So here's the first question. You can talk about this at the end of the watch party, at the end of church. Is, here's your first question. What are, what are you becoming? Because you're becoming something. You're being influenced by something. You are leaning into something. You are following something. You have your attention placed on something or someone. 
some agenda that's been placed upon you, you are becoming, and, it, and it, you can even do it lazily. All you need to do is wake up in the morning and you will become what our culture is trying to get you to become with all the different signals and all the different messages that are constantly bombarding us. You are becoming something. So if you're becoming something, that means you are taking something into a world and changing it because we are all world changers. might not be globally, but your world You are influencing it. You are changing it. You are bringing something into it. And what you are bringing into it is determined by what you are becoming. And Christian friend, are you becoming more like Jesus? Or are you becoming more like something else or someone else? Or a dream that you've got? Or a goal that you're fascinated with? That your focus is on something and that's what you're bringing to the world. And it's not powerful enough to change the world. Jesus is. Jesus in you is powerful enough to change the world. What are you becoming? So think about that. Maybe maybe that's a moment where you could journal about it and consider it. You you self-reflect and go, well, what is it I'm being wooed by? See, our culture has an agenda. Has an agenda on each of us. 2007, something really significant happened. I'll pause for a second. Something really uh, powerful happened in society in 2007. and, uh, And it was this first iPhone. I was doing some reading about this and listening to different people this week about the significance of the iPhone that some would say that historians will look back as this being the, uh, as significant as the Gutenberg Press and it's a life-changing, trajectory-changing implement in our back pockets and our purses. It's changed the way that we think, it's changed the way that we, uh, that we go about life. And one particular person that I was listening to, he, uh, he said, when, when was the last time you were bored? When was the last time that you were just sat waiting for something and you just looked out the window? Rather than pulling out a phone. Rather than having this device constantly feed us. When was the last time you were bored? I read another article about boredom and how boredom produces creativity and as as parents we need to be careful that we're not constantly trying to entertain our kids boredom is good because boredom causes them to find things to do and be creative i think about when i was young and we this is way before phones and everything else that we can get ent- entertainment from i just have to go and climb a tree fall out of it cause havoc set fire to i mean no not not that although it did happen once or twice but you'd have to go and find stuff to do. So for me, I started to draw, started to do logos, started to do graphic design, and that's eventually what I ended up going into. Boredom produces creativity. We don't know what it means to be bored anymore. This thing in our hands, this implement, this device has brought a lot of good, but it's also brought a lot of distraction. And it's got an agenda on you. As you look at it, what you see is placing an agenda on your life that you, maybe you start getting discontent. You go, I want this. and I want to be like that person. I want to be like this. And, and it changes the way that we live our life. So whose agenda are you on? Is it Jesus? What are you becoming? Maybe take time to take an inventory. Bible tells us to examine ourselves. So here's some homework for you. Maybe you can talk about it in your group later. Take some time to examine yourself. Take a personal inventory. What agenda are you on? What are you constantly influenced by? What habits are you constantly 
doing? What is it that is transforming your thinking and making you become something? And is it resulting, Christian friend, is it resulting in you losing your saltiness? Take an inventory. Are you on the king's agenda? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Or are you becoming more like something else that ultimately will take you away from Jesus and also the world that you are part of is not getting the answer they need? There's this lovely story in Acts, and I'm going to finish with this, in Acts chapter 17. And it really, it really shows us how life should be lived. You have the Apostle Paul who really said, follow me as I follow Christ. He really was a true apprentice of Jesus. And, and everything about him was oriented towards his king. He was laser focused. Laser focused in bringing the gospel, the good news to those people around him. Because he knew that was the answer to an aching, confused Society, And so in Acts chapter 17, you can read it, it's Paul goes into Athens and he walks into the center of the city and, and there's this area that is surrounded by idols. And there's this fascinating verse and it says this, that he looks and this spirit was provoked. He was provoked. And then it says, as he was looking at the idols. So I have a question for you. When was the last time you were provoked spiritually provoked at the state of the world around you. Now, I'm not talking about injustice or the things that really should be corrected or the protests or anything like that. I'm talking about the spiritual state, because remember, he was looking at idols, that you were provoked because your heart ached at the spiritual state of people around you. You see, the level at which you feel provoked is an indicator of how much you are at currently following after Jesus. Because if you can walk through our culture, nonplussed, not a big deal, not really noticing, not really caring, not really feeling compassion, not really feeling provoked, if that is your day-to-day testimony, I want to lovingly suggest to you that maybe, maybe you've lost some of the saltiness. Maybe it's time to take that inventory. Maybe it's time to spend some time with Jesus and confess and ask for forgiveness and, and, and get back into the Father's arms like the prodigal son. Maybe it's time you went for a walk and you prayed and maybe your prayer starts like this. Hey God, it's been a while and I'm really sorry, but I need you because I'm lost without you. Maybe that's where your prayer starts. Because if you're not feeling provoked... And I want to suggest to you that the spirit inside of you is just not alive and well in a way that it should be. And then it goes on and and Paul walks in and he starts having conversations. He acts upon the provoking. He starts having conversations with people. He goes to the synagogues. He goes to the marketplaces. You can read it. And he starts contending for the gospel. So he comes with the example of Jesus. And now he's opening his mouth and starts Gently telling people about Jesus. And here's the intriguing thing. The Athenians at the time were interested. They really wanted what Paul had. And I can tell you with absolute surety, Christian friend, you go, if you are dedicating and becoming like Jesus, and you are seeking ways to abide in him every day, that you are putting him as center and your focus and priority, you will become more and more like him. Your spirit will get more and more provoked. You will open your mouth and talk about him more and more because we always love to talk about stuff we love. 
And then you'll find that people around you are interested. Because it says in this passage, some believed. It also says that some mocked. And that's okay. Because there's always going to be hostility towards Jesus. But can I tell you that the way that people are going to come to know Jesus is not going to be through coolness. Because this isn't cool. I mean, it's cool what we're doing. But this isn't cool, church. This isn't amazing worship and all that other stuff that sometimes we focus on. That's not the way that the tide is going to turn. The way it's going to turn, the way that people are going to come to know Jesus is by you and me going into the circles that God has given us and taking the love, the joy, and the peace and patience that is growing and developing in us because we're abiding in him, making him priority because we're becoming like him and they're going to lean in and go, you are obviously different. You are obviously different. And you're going to open your mouth and you're going to share your story. People are going to turn because they see something in you. There's this beautiful, um, beautiful statement that I, I read this week. It says, faith is like a tide that goes in and out. And just when it seems to have gone out, it comes back in force. You know, histor- historically, we're in dark times. I'm going to talk about light of the world next week. And, and that's really focused on what, how God sees us. You want to come back next week, please. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful message from God. But can I tell you, we're in dark times. The world is shaking. The, sh- the world is in desperate need of truth. The truth, friends, that you and I have, Christian friends. And so it feels dark and it feels like Things are desperate. It feels like the tide has gone all the way out spiritually. But if you look through history, the darkest times, it seems that that's when God moves. And the tide is going to come in. But for any of you who have ever been caught in a tide, and I have, sometimes it doesn't come the way that you think it's going to come. Sometimes it comes in from the side. Sometimes it happens in a way we don't expect. And it might be that as you faithfully go about your day-to-day, that God will give you opportunities you don't expect and the tide will come in. I'm believing for that. It starts with his people turning to him. It starts with his people abiding in him. It starts with us walking into the cities, observing the idols, being provoked, and being Jesus in front of people who desperately need him. That's where it starts. So here's your homework. I want you to do something this week. I want you to... Journal around the what are you becoming. Take a personal inventory. I think that would be really powerful. Maybe go for a walk and and pray and think through that. But I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 1. And I want you to read through it and just pause at the end of each verse and just pray. Lord, what is it you want me to know from this verse? And it talks about fruit and streams of living water. and, And it's just so rich and so powerful and so wonderful. I want you to really meditate on that this week. And then next week, we're going to jump into light of the world. God's thoughts towards us. It's really powerful. But this week, let's just spend some time abiding in Jesus. That sounds good to me. That's like the best kind of withdrawing you can do. Jesus withdrew, spent time with his father, then stepped back in. Let's do that this week. I'm going to pray for you. And normally then I would ask the band to come up. And I'm looking at Luke and Sarah over there. Come up and play for us. And uh, that's not going to happen this week. But August 2nd, we're going to start opening up a bit more. And we're going to have some, uh, some times together. So keep an eye out for that. But this week, I'm going to pray blessing on you. And uh, pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Let's pray.
Dear Father, I thank you and praise you for all the good things that, uh, that you give us. Lord, I thank you for the promises. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just come, live life, and then set as an example and leave. That, Lord, you've actually given us the power and the ability to live like you. And, Lord, I pray that this week, your children, all those who hear, Lord, will put time aside to become more like you so that a hurting world can become more like you. Lord, I pray that you would draw those to yourself who don't know you. Lord, we're so grateful, so grateful for this church. Pray that we would grow stronger and stronger at this time as we withdraw and abide in you. Lord, we ask all these things because we know, Father, this is your heart for us and your heart for the city. And uh, Lord, I pray you would fill everybody now in Jesus' name with your wonderful spirit. Amen. Before you go, I, I, there's, my, there's a couple of messages that, uh, oh, Nicole is giving me. It's like news just in. This is exciting. I've never done this before. Okay, the Courtney's can't wait to see Sarah and Luke play again. Yes, won't be long. Thank you, Janet. Watch party says amen to malt vinegar. <laughs> I thought, I was, I was thinking of another kind of malt. We won't go there. Um, Ashley made Kool-Aid with salt, made her brother take the first drink. Nice one, Ashley. Love it. And finally, Chloe and Chinwen are here. Duncan Clan, Courtney's recommend Shady's on Sutherland Fish and Chips. You know what? A good way to finish. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Go and abide in Christ and become like him. And we'll see you next week. Take care.